Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church. And we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. Hey, hey, good morning, Rest Church. How's everybody today? All right. All right. Uh, You know, a few weeks back, I invited you into uh, God's courtroom if you were here. Does anybody remember that? Um, yeah, I hit the gavel a lot. Cody made fun of me last week for it. Uh, today, I actually want to invite you into a new meeting that you maybe didn't know you were walking into today. Today's actually a meeting for HA or uh, HNA. Maybe we'll pull that up. Yeah. Um, and, and HNA, what this stands for is Hypocrites Non Anonymous. Hypocrites Non Anonymous. Welcome to HNA. Uh, this morning, and, and, and I just wonder today, how many of you would be so bold as to say, I know a hypocrite? How many of you would be so bold to say that this morning? Now, how, I, I just wonder, how many of you would be so bold to say, I know a hypocrite this morning because I'm actually sitting right next to one? Don't, don't raise your hand, though, okay? Don't raise your hand on this. Uh, you know, odds are you've probably heard this sort of statement before, maybe when you were trying to share the gospel with a non-believer or, or someone at work or a friend, um, or just inviting them to church and, and there's some resistance that they push back onto you and, and they say this statement of, well, I'm not, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna go to church, thanks for the invite, I'm not gonna go though because the church, it's full of, help me out, hypocrites, hypocrites. And, 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 you know, whenever someone makes that sort of statement, pastors oftentimes around this, around this kind of topic, they, they'll, they'll often respond in the sense of, of saying something along the lines of, yep, sure is, and there's room for one more, right? That's, that's kind of what we, what we say in response to, to that. You know, it's quotable, it's, it's tweetable, it's, it's kind of hallmarkish, if you will, um, Danny, maybe we should do, maybe we should do a campaign sometime with uh, like have a card on the front that says hypocrite, and then on the inside it says there's room for one more. You know, hand those out around town, see what kind of response we get. Um, and, and, and you know, it's it's kind of funny, and there's definitely a, a sliver of truth inside of that that statement. But what I'm afraid that it's done actually is that it's actually drawn some incorrect lines around the scriptures that's, that's not really biblically faithful when it comes to that word hypocrite. And so I'm intentionally trying to be light with this as we start because this is, this is honestly just a really heavy conversation uh, for, for so many different people and, and where maybe you were on the receiving end of some real hypocrisy um, inside of the church where maybe a pseudo leader was in front of you and, and they were supposed to represent God, but they, they just kind of fell and it hurt you or it hurt a friend or, or it hurt a family member. And, and look, your, your pastor's here. Like we've, we've got our, our, I don't even know where any of them are, but we've got our share, uh, fair share of scars and, and war stories, you know, right alongside of that. And, and so I, what I don't want to do this morning is I don't want to minimize th- this reality 
uh, that's, if that's been your experience. But what I want to do instead is I want us to draw a different line uh, on this because whenever, whenever we come to the church, a lot of people like to kind of just you know, toss that word hypocrite around it at every corner. And it's like whenever somebody makes a mistake, it's like hypocrite. Or if someone stumbles, you slap them with a sticker. Hypocrite. We kind of just frivolously throw it out there. And, and, and I want you to know that as we start out down, down our journey this morning, that that word a hypocrite it doesn't mean that you don't mis- make mistakes and don't live up to what you believe. That, that's not hypocrisy. That, that's just humanity. And, and it's because all of us, we're all in that same boat, right? Romans 3, 23, that we've all sinned, that we've all fallen short of the great glory of our, of our great God. And, and, and he has redeemed us and he is continuing to redeem us by the blood of the lamb. Amen. You know, in fact, I would say that to some degree, every one of us has been a, a, a hypocrite uh, in, in one way or another and and, and we've done things that we that we wish we hadn't have done, or, or or we've said things that we really wish we hadn't have said, and we've had to go back and and make right something that we've made wrong. But that's not hypocrisy. This is the this is the battle that every believer faces between your 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 flesh and, and your spirit. See, hypocrisy, and this will be on the screen, hypocrisy isn't, it isn't that space between what we did do and what we wish we did do. Hypocrisy is the space between what we profess and what we actually possess. It's the gap between what we show and who we really are. It's the makeup, it's the, it's the masks that we wear in public sometimes when our private lives completely contradict that public mask. And it's a really, really big threat to the church of Jesus. It's a really big threat. See, if you've been tracking along with us through the book of Romans in our study, our author Paul uh, he's actually been writing to different churches that are in Rome, made up of Gentiles and Jewish believers. And, and as he's, uh, overall, what he's trying to do is he's trying to get to Rome so that he can inevitably plant a church planting network in Spain to reach more people with the gospel. Um, Jared, church, church plants and churches is God's plan A to reach people with the gospel, Amen. And so Paul, before he can go and plant a church, what he has to do is he has to deal with some issues that are going on inside of the, of the church first off. And, and the three subgroups that, that in this section that we've kind of been identifying, uh, which is on the screen, are the pagans, the moralists, and the religionists. And if you haven't been with us, just a quick, quick recap on that. Uh, the pagans, uh, to a large degree, this is the far, far left. Uh, in our in our in our day, this might be some parts of, uh, of of New York City. This is people who blatantly, openly, willingly defy God and His order. Um, they buy the T-shirt at Sam's Club that's on the rack and and proudly proclaim who they are. That's the pagans. Then the next group that we met are the moralists. These are the people that believe, hey, I'm I'm basically I'm basically a good person because of what I do. Uh, this is the person who, who you know, goes, well, I, I tip extra at lunch, Isaac. Uh, this is the person who goes, I, I vote the right way. Um, you know, I, when that, that TV commercial comes on of Sarah McLaughlin with the, the in the arms of an angel's playing and it's puppy adoption in the background, I donate toward that cause, right? I, I, I do all of these things and it's, it's not really about what Jesus has done, but it's about what, what I've done. And so I, I'm basically a good person. That's the moralist. And then last week, Pastor Cody opened uh, up in chapter 2, verse 17, uh, with the, the religionists that he, that he showed us. And in that, he, Cody showed us um, there were eight different areas that the Apostle Paul picked out representing these, uh, the, the, the Jewish religionists in their relationship with God, how they viewed that, and in their relationship with one another, how they viewed that. And Paul's building this case of basically self-condemnation against them. 
Uh, Pastor Cody broke them down into two groups, two subgroups. He said there were the religious moralists who have subtle hypocrisy. And then he said there were the religious renegades who have blatant uh, hypocrisy uh, coming from them. He also said that uh, these type of people, uh, they're, not, they're not broken over the loss, but instead they get mad at the loss for being lost in the first place. And it's all because they were loving the letter of the law, but they didn't didn't really know the God that wrote the letter. And so in verses 21 through 24 today, this is really part two of this, uh, this one-two combo punch that the Apostle Paul started last week. This is actually the, the, the finish of his statement from last week. And so we're going to read um, back from verse 17 to 24 today. So if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to Romans 2. Uh, we'll read verses 17 uh, through 24 together. Do you love Jesus, Rest Church? Amen. Are you ready to study his word this morning? Amen. Amen. Romans uh, 2, uh, we'll read 17 through 24 together. This is what it says. But if you call yourself a Jew, if you've been brought up Jewish, you were raised in the, in the church, and you rely on the law and boast in God, verse 18, and know his will and approve what's excellent because you're instructed from the law. And if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of the knowledge of truth. Paul, Paul's saying you, you feel kind of smug because you're an insider. This is his warning. Listen to this, verse 21. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, but do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law that you're boasting about. For as it is written, he quotes Isaiah and maybe Ezekiel there, the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you. Church, out of the three possible enemies of the gospel, the pagans, the moralists, and the religionists, in my opinion, and you can have your own too, but in my opinion, this particular group serves as the biggest threat to Rest Church. This group serves as the biggest threat to the church of, of Jesus because the biggest problem, man, it's not out there with people that don't know the Bible. The problem is in here with people who think they know the Bible, but they really don't. These are the folks that are conservative. These would be the people in the traditional category. This is those who are on the far right, and so they think they're right about everything. You're like, uh-oh, and this is many of us, right? You're like, man, I sure liked when we were talking about those pagans and, uh, and those moralists, Pastor. This is one of the biggest threats to the church, the religious person that Paul's addressing, what they do is they, they project an image of righteousness while they're all along truly harboring this hypocrisy inside in, in their hearts. Um, these are the people who, who grew up in the church, who grew up in youth group, who grew up knowing what's, what's right from, from wrong. And for this group, Jesus was harsher with them than any other group. As you look at the scriptures, you see, you know, the two main sects of Judaism, S-E-C-T-S, and you've got the Pharisees, you know, on one side and the Sadducees on the other side, and the Sadducees would have been the group that was considered more liberal. Um, Acts chapter 2, that'll be on the screen, verse 38 talks about them. They look more liberal. The Sadducees say there's no resurrection or angel or spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. The Pharisees were the conservative ones. They had a high, high view of the, of the scriptures. But the problem is, like the Sadducees, they were, they, were, they were taking away from God's word. But what the Pharisees were doing is that they were adding to it. They had their own asterisks that they would put into God's law. And, 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 and Jesus addressed these people 
in a lot of ways, and I won't go through them all, but just to give you a really quick snapshot, you can look at Matthew chapter 23 to see the seven woes. Say woe. Tell your neighbor woe. The seven woes Jesus gives to them. Listen, to this. this is just one. Um, Matthew 23 said, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Listen to this. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. In Matthew 7, 13, Jesus said uh, that they were like whitewashed tombs. He, he called them uh, a group of snakes. He called them in Matthew 12, uh, snakes. He called them sons of hell. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus, he comes in. He comes in like a wrecking ball to their worship service, Pastor John. And he starts flipping tables, WWE style, right? Because they've, they've started a pop-up Etsy shop in the middle of their worship service. And they're exploiting God's people. And Jesus hated it. And Paul warns us about them in Titus 1, listen to this, he says, they profess to know God, but they, they actually deny them by what they do. They have a profession, but there's no real possession of what they're talking about. It was all just a show. And so I need you to know this morning, be really clear up front, Jesus hates the show. Jesus hates the show. When you say you believe one thing, but then you behave another. When you, when, you, when you preach one thing, you profess one thing, but then you practice another. Whenever you subscribe to Christianity and you got the t-shirt and the bumper sticker, but there's no real life change or transformation along with the information that you have, Jesus hates this. In fact, lastly, if the ministry of Judas Iscariot tells us anything, it's that we need, to, we need to watch out for these people, right? Judas, he wasn't like Peter. Peter was hot-headed, you know, he was out. He chopped off some ears like Mike Tyson. He was, he was in the face and bold. Judas wasn't like that. Judas, he was off to the side, uh, quietly, subvertly, slyly, and he was stealing money from the ministry for three years, but still he was publicly taking communion and walking with Jesus in ministry. Yet at the end, we know that Judas, he was exposed, as it will be with all religious people, when Jesus lays every secret on the table at the end, and a lot of us will be shocked. And so Paul's continuation of his argument from last week is this indictment against his own people collectively, individually, and specifically of holy hypocrisy. And so what we'll do this morning is we'll pray together and uh, then look at some ways that Paul says that we can f be freed from the grip of this hypocrisy by the, the transforming power of the gospel. So if you would, pray with me. We'll go through these verses together. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us first, God, for calling us to yourself. And God, just this morning as we consider hypocrisy and, and just really the blackness of our, our own hearts, the darkness of our own heart, God. I pray that it would cause us to flee to you, to, to just, just fling ourselves at your feet, Jesus. And God, that, that ultimately your word and your life in us, God, it would change our hearts, that it would, it would change our minds, God. And ultimately, the, the most of all, that it would change our standing in you that we would receive your righteousness, God. And so for, for those of us this morning, God, struggling with, with, with keeping up the show, I pray that you would open, open up their hearts and, and show them, God, just how much better it is just to walk with you. In Jesus' good name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. So verse 21, if you have your word, starts out, it says, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself also while you preach against stealing do you still? And so in this section, the Apostle Paul, what he's been doing is um, he's been laying out the gospel in these three subgroups and stuff, and, and he perceives uh, the hands in the classroom starting to go up. And so what Paul does is he asks a group of rhetorical questions, and then the Apostle Paul answers those rhetorical questions that, that he knows that the, the Jewish religionists were going to be asking. And it says, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Man, this, this verse 
Just this, just this first verse. Pull it back up, CJ. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? This is one of those soul and spirit, joint and marrow, grab your scalpel, kind of dividing verses. If you, if you would let it, if you would let it examine you, if you would let it search you. James chapter 3 uh, verse 1, I believe yet. Verse 1, it warns those of us who teach, saying this, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This is a teacher from, from pastor to parent, anyone who handles the word of God. <laughs> and you know, right out the gate, John, uh, Friday night I was supposed to meet with my my D group, my discipleship group, and, um, and, and it's a really good thing, meeting with your D group. You know, I, I love my D group guys and um, love our time, time together, uh, but I knew that I was supposed to be somewhere else doing something else to better honor God at that time, and so I, I fought it, and I came up here, and I tried to work on my sermon, and I got as far as to the first verse in this text, it says this, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? And uh, talk about a real punch in the mouth, you know, from the Holy Spirit. I, I knew what was the right thing to do, and then I went through and I had this internal conversation with myself arguing, you know, with myself, and then uh, as the Holy Spirit kind of nudged me and, and, and said, okay, are you, are you, are you done? Are, are you ready to submit? Now, you know, you, he, he was going, Adam, you're, you're about to teach about those who, who teach and don't listen to the teaching that they teach. And so after I, after I wrestled for a while and then I did finally submit to it, I, I, I went back to my house and, and, and it was confirmed in the daddy that was given to me when I walked back through my front door. This verse, man, if, if you will let it, I'm telling you, it will, it will divide you, it will start you. And so I'm just sharing that with you to say, as we read through this text today, let this text examine you and not your neighbor. Let it examine you. So here it is. This is actually the end of the sentence that Paul started back in 17. We'll read it again. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Remember, if you look back in verses 17 through 20, 21, you'll see Paul uh, pose this series of if questions. He goes, uh, if you are a Jew, if you're devout, if you rely on the law, if you're boasting in God, if you're sure that you're a guide to the blind, if you are a teacher of the foolish and children, if you truly have the law, which you believe to be the embodiment of truth and of knowledge, then why don't you do what it says to do? That, that's where Paul is, 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 is leading into, why don't you practice what you preach? In, in the words of the theologian Megan Trainer, he goes, I know you lie because your lips are moving. That's what he's saying to him. And Paul's proof of sin here is this consistent inconsistency in what they're professing and what they actually possess. And so Paul, he's addressing a religious spirit of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, it's, it's whenever we, we, we demand things of other people that we don't really hold ourselves to that same sort of standard, that that's what makes us hypocritical, and, and, and the word hypocrite, you may not know this, you may know this, but it, it's an ancient Greek word that's taken from Greek drama, from Greek theater, uh, hypocrites, and, and this word in, in, in that time, it wasn't negative or positive, it was just neutral, but what a hypocrites was is it was a one person who would play multiple roles during a Greek play. And so what this one person would do is they would, they would have an oversized mask that represented what they were trying to communicate to the audience of what kind of character they were. And they would switch out these masks between scenes. All the while, the audience never knew who, what the real identity of the Hypocrites was. 
Now, Jesus, he takes this word uh, that's in culture and he applies it to this group of religionists, to the the Pharisees in in this revolutionary sort of way. And he goes, the Pharisees are the poster boys of the hypocrites. And, and throughout much of church history, they, they have been this, that they have been legalists who were looking to, to earn the righteousness of God instead of just receiving the righteousness of God. Elsewhere, the apostle Paul in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 5, he re, re, rebukes them in a similar way saying this about them. He says, they have a form of godliness but it really doesn't have any substance to it. He says it's just, a, it's just sort of a shell. And he's saying that, that because these guys, they, they were so focused on cleaning, on cleaning up the, the outside of their hydro flask, on the outside of their Yeti cup, and yet the inside was full of mold, and Paul was going, nobody wants to drink from that sort of cup. What this is, is it was a performance camouflage. It was a performance camouflage. And what that camouflage looks like with us is going to vary from tribe to tribe to tribe, depending on what tradition we, we come out of. A, uh, for some of us, it's, it's when you go to church, you know, you make sure to put on your church clothes. But, but like maybe when you go out on Friday night or the club or wherever you go, you put on your club clothes, which are usually significantly less clothes and your church clothes believe it or not but this morning God can hear my prayers through my hat it's crazy I know or or for some of us maybe it's that you listen to Christian music you're 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 all about some K-love when you're with your your group of Christian friends but maybe when you're by yourself or or with another group you listen to some other music that maybe is not as honoring to God for some, it's, it's their morality. For some, it's their, it's their biblical knowledge that they have. For some, it's about having the, just the right emotion or experience when you walk into a worship service. D.L. Moody says this about our character. He says, character is who you are in the dark. Character is who you are when you're by yourself, when you're in the dark. And, and, and if we're honest... We all have some varying degrees of hypocrisy, I think. But let me, let me repoint out that, that distinction I made earlier in this. All human beings are sinners. All human beings are sinners. All hypocrites are sinners, but not all sinners are hypocrites. All human beings are sinners. All hypocrites are sinners, but not all sinners are hypocrites. Most Christians, you know, they're not, we're not as great as we, we, we should be, but we're also not as bad as we would be without Jesus in our life. Amen. And so we are changed and we are continually being changed into the image and the likeness of, of the son, Jesus and, and so I'll read that again. All human beings are sinners. All hypocrites are sinners. But not all sinners are hypocrites. And this is a vital, vital distinction for us. There is a vital distinction because one, one puts on a mask and pretends to be something that they're just not. The, the other is continually peeling off the mask, trying to be who God has created them to be. And, and here's the implication that Paul's getting at with this. He's saying, your life doesn't indicate, or your life indicates that you don't sit under what you say. He's saying that, that they're not consistent. They, they don't match up. And this is a real problem because Jesus hates the show. So I'll just ask you really quick on this church, what you, what you preach, what you profess, does, does it match up with what you actually practice? The, the big issue that Paul's nailing down on this is that he's going, hey, these guys love the concept of truth. But the problem is they're not being changed by it. 
They love the concept of the truth, but they're not being changed. They're not letting the truth actually, actually changes them. And so, so what Paul does in the rest of this text is he does two things. Number one, he uh, exposes the, the hypocrisy of this Jewish self-righteousness. And, and, and in this, he poses a set of questions uh, to the Jews, uh, pointing out how they haven't lived up to the privileges that God has given them. So he exposes it. And then number two, the second thing he does in the last two verses, especially verse 24, is that he shows the effects the hypocrisy has on the witness of God's people. So first, let's look at the first part, how Paul exposes the hypocrisy, starting in verse 21, part B. He says this, while you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You abhor idols, do you rob temples? Verse 23, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. So if you didn't see it, and you can look back in your scripture, there are three ways that Paul calls out the holy hypocrite in this section, these, these Jewish religionists. And he says, one, you preach against stealing, but, but you steal. You, you preach against adultery, but you commit adultery. You, you preach against idolatry, but you're carrying around those same idols that you detest. And so, remember the Apostle Paul, he's been talking about the moral law, say moral and, and what he's doing here is he's just diving deeper into the moral law with this group. Next week, uh, Pastor Johan, he's going he's gonna to jump into the ceremonial portion of the law. But here he's focusing, he's zeroing in on, on specific parts of the moral law. And, and it's that they believe the law of Moses stands between them and, and God and so to this point, uh, it, it's meant to apply to anyone who relies on their own religiosity or spiritualism to be right with the Lord. This is for anyone in that category. Now the question, as we look at, as we look at those three sections there, those three comments, what we should ask ourselves is we should, we should go, did every Jew do all of these things? And the answer is, you know, likely, probably, probably not to a degree. It's probably no, but Paul, what he's doing is he's saying something that's generally true. And so he's reiterating that every Jew, though, is still guilty before God because none of them have fully kept the law. And so what Paul does, man, in classic Paul fashion, is he goes into three areas that the Jews were incredibly confident in. He turns up the heat, actually, on the things that they were confident in. And so this is essentially the Apostle Paul coming in, and he's kicking out the legs from under the table that the Jewish uh, religionist is propping themselves up with. He goes straight to the heart. And so the first of the three, verse 21b, says, while you preach against stealing, do you steal? Paul's saying, hey, you're, you're telling people don't steal, but you're not giving generously. Right, it's easy for us to preach honesty to other people, but it's a whole nother thing to be honest in all that we do. And the problem is this, they were seeing their, their own dishonesty as this, as this small infraction, and, but they were seeing other people's dishonesty as, as like something for the major crime unit. It was a holy hypocrisy. He then takes a step further. Verse 22, part A, you who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? This, can liter this could literally be, your, hey, you're preaching about don't commit adultery, but then you're secretly sleeping with someone else's spouse. Could, it could be that. Or in the context Paul's been, been kind of talking about, this could also mean figuratively that they were adulterating the word of God by mixing in their own preferences with what God had said, slapping the label on it saying, and God said this too. And so they were mixing the word, adulterating God's word. It was a holy hypocrisy. They were marrying it to their, their personal preferences. And see, there's a, there's a difference between our preferences and God's principles. There's a difference. Do you know that? God's, God's principles are, they're eternal, Russ. They're unchanging. They, they never fade. But our, our preferences, our, our methods, they're going to change. They should change. If they don't change in business or in the church, you'll probably die. 
But God's principles are eternal. A principle that God gives us, for example, is like when the scripture says, hey, you should worship God alone. Worship God. Um, Psalm 100 is one example of that. But what it doesn't say in, in Psalm 100 is it doesn't, it doesn't talk about the tempo of a song. It doesn't talk about a type of song. It doesn't talk about a time signature. It, it, it doesn't talk about any of, 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 of those things. And, and here's the problem. Whenever we take our personal preference and adulterate them as commands, if it's their God's principles, we're saying that God said things that he just never said. And religious people love to do this. They love to do this. Right there, they'll go, well, you know, I've been doing some YouTube research. <laughs> By the way, YouTube research, it's about as much research as putting a Pop-Tart in a toaster makes you a chef, you know? <laughs> But they love to do this. They'll take a, 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 not a principle, but a preference, and then they'll slap a Bible verse on it, and they'll point back and they'll say, and God said, and God never, never actually said that. And here's what happens whenever we do this. Hear me on this. When we make rules without relationship, it always results in rebellion. When you make rules without relationship, it's always gonna result in rebellion, whenever we try to connect or try to correct before we connect, this is what happens. When we pursue the rule in place of the relationship, this always happens. And it's a holy hypocrisy. Lastly, verse 22, Paul puts the proverbial cherry on top of this spiritualism Sunday. And, and he says this, you who Whore idols, do you rob temples? Now you might not see this when you when you just kind of look into the text um, of the of the slight that's coming out here, really from Paul to these religious people. Um, but 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 think back with me because the Jews that were living from the time of of Christ until the time of Paul, this would have been the the first generation, so to speak, when. Um, from Abraham being called out uh, from Ur of the Chaldeans. Ever, ever since that moment, God's people had been building um, these household gods, Baal, Asherah, sex, resume, whatever. I mean, just fill in the blank with whatever, whatever you want there. And, and so the prophets would come along, the prophets of God, and they would continually charge God's people with being idolaters, they were pointing the finger saying, hey, you're, you're idolaters in this. And so after the exile in Babylon, the people of, of God, they, they kind of got this message. And so the Jews had confidence and they were going, hey, you know, we're, we're a lot of things, but idolaters isn't one of them. We're not idolaters anymore. We've, we've, moved, we've moved beyond that. And the apostle Paul, man, he goes, you're not only idolaters, but you're temple robbers. Now, for the Jew hearing this, I mean, it's almost there, the, the gasp, the awe as, as the Apostle Paul makes this accusation uh, against them because they hated those Gentile pagan temples. They hated those Gentile pagan idols. They wouldn't go near them. And Paul's saying, Paul's saying, when, when you're having this profession without any possession, you might as well be carrying a little idol around with you in your pocket. It's as if you've robbed the temple and are carrying it with you because it was all just a show and Jesus hates the show. They were judging everyone else without first judging themselves. They were like, they were like, you know, religious gophers popping up out of their hole going, Pharisee, heresy, heresy. And Jesus hated this. They were looking at everyone else's sin, but, but didn't see the sin of their own hearts. And Paul, he shines the flashlight in on the hypocrisy of their heart, on their own darkness. That's the holy hypocrisy exposed. And, and here is one of its effects in verse 23. The whole thing comes to complete clarity here in this verse. Listen, you who boast, this is a summary, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. And see, the people of Israel, they thought, they, they, they thought that they could commend God by making a really big deal about the law. 
And Paul, Paul's like, no, 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 you, you don't understand. Whenever you set your sin up against the moral law, he says, you're not only not making enough of the moral law, but you're not making enough of your sin. He says, you're, you're falling on, on, on both accounts. There's no place to take refuge in except in the refuge of Christ. And like the Apostle Paul, man, like, you couldn't fool the Apostle Paul, right? He was a former hypocrite. He knew what was in the hearts of these religious people because he was a religious people. And he knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were feeling because he had been there. And he knew that the only place that you can flee to from religion is to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And this is a tough one, man. This is a tough one because religious people... Hypocrisy, you know, the, the list that Paul laid out, adultery and robbery and idol worship, all of those three things, they're pretty public, they're pretty visible. We see the, the headlines in the news about those things, right? But hypocrisy, really the only one that can see that is yourself. You're, you're really the only one that can see the behind the scenes. And, 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 and Paul's going like, hey, you guys are essentially... You're, you're coming in and you're, you're cutting down this, this giant sequoia tree... And then you're standing on the stump to preach about conservation. <laughs> and he's saying, do you, do you see where this, this makes no sense for you to, to boast in, in the law? Because the whole time you're, you're just, you're breaking it with your life. Luther once said, true reformation of the church takes more than a moral bath. It requires the gospel because without the gospel, our attempts at reform will always be superficial. It's always just makeup and masks every time. And so for you and I, if we, if we approach the, the scriptures in, in, in a religious sort of spirit, that in, in searching the scriptures is just the, the end of, uh, of itself to, to search, if, if we only see it as, as how we are to live our lives instead of seeing from it that our life is to be in, in, in Jesus' life, then we've missed the whole point. It's not, just, it's not just a piece. Jesus isn't just a piece of the, of the snow globe. He, he's the entire snow globe, and everything else is to flow from him. And, and whenever we mix that up, it distorts everything else. It distorts everything everything else church so what I'm saying is that if we just compartmentalize compartmentalize Jesus and forget that he's the mediator to this whole party then we've missed the point because what you and I can do is that we can we can enjoy the right things for the wrong reasons and it still makes it wrong do you see that we can enjoy the right sort of things for the wrong reasons and it's still wrong. Now lastly here, the last effect of the hypocrisy. So the first one was dishonoring God. And this may be the more deadly of the two effects. I don't know, equal at least. It says this in verse 24. Here's the effect. The name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you. So Paul, what he's doing is he's combining, I put it up there, Isaiah 52.5 and Ezekiel 36.22, or at least it looks like that. And he goes back into verse 23, he says, you dishonor God by breaking the law. And then verse 24, and so the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you. Now what you may not know is that in both of those texts, God's people had been rebelling against God and so God had handed them over to their sin and so foreign powers had come in and they had completely conquered God's people. They were, they were militaristically defeated. They were beat down. And what happened as a result of this is that the nations around, they were pointing in, looking at this uh, Israel people, the people of God, and they were saying, well, God can't even, God can't even protect his own people. And Paul's saying, and the same thing is happening with you religious guys when it comes to the Gentiles. They're, they're blaspheming God because of you. He says, not only are you not fulfilling the call that's been given to you, 
right? Think back with me to the, the covenant promise of Abraham. Israel was called to be a missionary to all other nations. And, and, and in this promise that God gave to Abraham, so he would be a father of many nations. So the gospel would go with them. And so Paul's saying here, not only are you not fulfilling this missionary call that was placed on you a long time ago, not only are you not fulfilling that call, but everyone's talking trash and thinks God is a joke because of your life. Despite all of your professions about God, the way you live, your possession is making him into a joke. Church, this is the biggest threat to Christianity, man. The biggest threat, Todd, the biggest threat isn't that we don't have enough translations of the Bible to go around the world. That's not the biggest threat. Michael, it's not that we don't have enough missionaries to go around the world and spread the gospel. The biggest threat is the holy hypocrites who have a lip service that life just doesn't match it and it gives a bad name to Jesus. That is the biggest obstacle to spreading the gospel. And so we must be extremely careful about the sort of reputation that we are building for God in this world. Pastor author Brennan Manning, he says this, he says, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is the Christian who acknowledges Jesus with their lips and then walks out the door and denies him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Whenever you and I, whenever we live like these legalistic Jews, a kind of a punitive lifestyle, if you will. It not only hurts God's family, the church, but it repulses unbelievers. It repulses unbelievers. And see, that's religious people, man. That's, that's what they, they do, though. They, 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 demand, they demand perfection, right? But they don't encourage progress. They demand perfection from everyone around them, but they don't encourage progress. Now, let me ask you on this. In God's standard, Matthew 5, we've talked about this before. In God's standard, is it perfection, true or false? True, right? Be perfect as God is perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. But the caveat to this that religious people miss, the caveat in this is that you and I, we need Jesus to come and be perfect in our place and that he would walk alongside of us so that we would be being made perfect as he is. But what religious people do is they keep going, they go, hey, you know what, you're not there yet. Or hey, you, you know, you did this, but you did it, you did it wrong. Or hey, you did this, but you, you didn't really do it the right way. You were supposed to go over here when you, when you went over this way instead. You know, you, 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 you done this. And, and as they preach this, they themselves are, are breaking the law of God. And when it's Jesus all along who says, you know what, actually, actually, hey, hey, I'm, I'm perfect. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna come, I'm gonna come and walk along beside you and I'm, and I'm, I'm gonna be the one that, that leads you and I have this eternal plan that's in progress that's been set before the, even the foundation of the world to make you perfect in me. Church, this is why Jesus came down from heaven and didn't FaceTime commands to us. He came because he wanted relationship with us. He wanted to connect before he corrected. See, your God, he's a really good dad. I don't know if you know that or not. Your God is a really good dad, but he's not just a really good dad. He's the perfect dad. He's the perfect dad. And, and he loves to celebrate the progress of his kids. Man, how many of you, whenever your kids were little and they, they took their first step, do you remember that? And like you were there and you were cheering them along. You, were, you had the camera going and, and every little wobbly step that they would take, you were there to celebrate their progress. Do you know that your heavenly father is like that with you when you take steps of faith toward him? That he celebrates your progress. And do, and do you understand church that you have been given this amazing title as a co-laborer of Christ? You are a co-laborer of Jesus. You are a living billboard for Jesus's life. And so you will either be a billboard that is full of, of grace and truth and humility, or you will be a big fat signpost that says, keep clear of this place.
I was, uh, I was opening up our pool this week, and uh, my four-year-old Jordy, he likes to help dad when dad's outside doing stuff, you know, especially when it's outside, and we had a, we had a leak in our pump. And uh, before Pastor John, where he's at, before he came and rescued me from the depths of Sheol, that's what I was in. Um, before that, Jordan was right there alongside of me, helping me along. And, uh, and, and, and so he would, he would hand me some hose with his little four-year-old biceps. And he held onto a screwdriver and some of the clamps and stuff. And, and uh, he was just there because he likes to spend time, you know, with dad. And I couldn't help but think in that moment of this verse in 1 Corinthians 3, 9 that says that, for we are God's fellow workers. Let that sink in for just a minute. Look at that verse. How good is that? For we are God's fellow workers. Man, if you're like me, you read this verse and you go, why? But why? Right? God, he's, he's omnicompetent. He never gets tired. He never changes. He's certainly strong enough to do everything by himself. Yet we are God's fellow workers. And then you look at us, man. And it's like, we sleep for a third of our life. You know, we're, Pastor Johan, we're fighting against seasonal allergies, right? And lactose intolerance. And we forget our keys and our wallet and where we parked. And yet God has invited us in to be his fellow co-workers. With Jordy, you know, him helping me. Did I, did I need his help? No. I could probably have done it faster and better by myself. But you know what? Because I, I sure love that guy and he's part of the family I invited him in to share some of the labor. And you know that Jesus has done the exact same with you. God doesn't need us because he's not lacking anything. But God has invited his children into the family business where this incredible things happen, where we get activity based on our identity in Christ. As a fellow coworker, of his, and he knows every one of our inadequacies, man, every one of them, yet he still invites us in. And so why in the world would we ever think we need to put on a show to impress anyone? Jesus hates the show. 